Chef Linda will be trying Hannah's dessert first. Well, Hannah, this looks very, very good, and I see you learned from your first cooking lessons that you needed to put things in bite-sized pieces. And I see that you've done that, and that's very good that you listen. <laughs> oh, that looks like she's really enjoying that. <laughs> Oh, she's being a good grandma. She's acting like it's good. <laughs> Looks like Chef Linda is enjoying it so much. Oh, man. Had that post-Thanksgiving meal nap. <laughs> for a day of golf and you get attacked by a turkey? Wouldn't be Thanksgiving without it. Yeah, they'll forever have a story to tell. Oh, oh man. Nobody check that table leg. Oh, no, 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 no. There goes the turkey. Yikes. Real slow. No. Oh, no. Oh, no. There it goes, up in flames. Uh-oh. Call the fire department. Yikes. 911, somebody get him there. I don't know, just no, you, put you the, gotta whole fully cover the whole thing. Kill, kill the fire. You don't want no air. No air, no oxygen. Oh, no, he done locked her out. He said, this is your mess to deal with. Okay, It's coming. You can hear it. Oh, no. Cook, you're burning the house. Oh, and he's right next to the house, too. Not good. Here we go again. All these fried turkey incidents. Oh, the tank is right there. Yikes. That scares me. Oh, no. She's fainting the flames. She's making it worse. Fainting the flames here. Save the turkey? Do we not? Do we save it? Do we not? I don't know. What do we do here? <laughs> Good morning, Cap City family. My name is Billy Janone, and it is my honor to welcome you guys here this morning. We are so thankful you've taken time to join us here today. If this is your first time visiting with us, we would love for you to grab a Red Connect card out of the seat back in front of you. Fill that out. You can turn it into someone on the greeting team or at our welcome center on your way out. We just want to connect with you, say thanks for coming. We're glad you're here and just provide you any information that you may have about Cap City. So we are kind of making that transition from Thanksgiving to Christmas. And with that, our Oasis group is having their Christmas luncheon. It is coming up this Thursday. That's going to be from 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. in the Family Life Center downstairs. This is for our Boomer Builder generation. Or if anybody wants to identify as one that day, come join in on the fun and the goodies. Then that's fine, too. But uh, the ladies are planning a special dinner. And so they would love for you guys to pre-register for that so they have a number to kind of prepare for. So if you can register on either the Church Center app or you can go to our website, capcity.info, look under the upcoming events and it'll be there for you to register. So did anybody's Thanksgiving look like this? You know, 
maybe you don't want to raise your hand, right? <laughs> maybe you burnt the turkey, maybe you burnt the, burnt the dessert, or maybe you got this bite in your mouth, like the lady, the grandmother, you know, she did such a good job pretending that it was okay, and she loved it. And we see these kind of videos, and we just want to laugh out loud, and we want to kind of be judgy and all that kind of stuff. And at the same time, though, like for someone who's hosted Thanksgiving dinner, and we've worked so hard for it all day, and then it's just ruined. And I, I, I feel compassion for that person. I just want to fix it. I want to say, hey, what can we salvage? You know, maybe I can run to the store real quick and pick up a last minute pie or whatever. But that's what compassion is, right? It's suffering with someone, but also having that want to alleviate the suffering for them, okay? And so one of the days, ways that we do that here at Cap City is every December, we have our giving wall. So starting next Sunday, December 4th, you'll see our giving wall set up in the lobby. It's gonna be when you exit the worship center off to the left. And what we do is you clip an ornament or two, maybe more if you want to. You collect the supplies that are on that list. You bring it in with you the following Sunday. And we're going to help distribute those supplies to the different organizations that we're supporting this year. This year, everything that you bring in is going to go to support the Wanda Joyce Robinson Foundation, the uh, Joining Hands Family Resource Center. So that supports both Hearn Elementary and Peaksmill Elementary, and also King's Daughters Apartments. If you're one of those people, you're like, my shopping's already done. I like to get things out of the way. There should be a list already on our website, capcity.info under Christmas. And you can find a list of supplies there if you want to jumpstart before Sunday. I don't know about you, but I am just so thankful that we have a compassionate God, right? And um, when we can look to him, just like King David did in Psalm 86, he said, he said, but you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Look down and have mercy on me. Give me strength, or sorry, give strength to your servant. And so I just want to say that I'm so thankful that we have a God who has compassion. He looked down, he saw our suffering, and he did everything he could. He sent his son for us so that he could alleviate that suffering for us and that we could be reconciled to him. So what we're going to do now is we're going to stand and we're going to praise that good God.
Jesus in the morning, Jesus in the new time, Jesus when the sun goes down. At all times, even in the midst of a storm.
on the hill of Calvary, my Savior bled for me, my Jesus set me free. what he's done what he's done what he's done all the glory and the honor to the sun my sins are forgiven my future is heaven I praise God for what he's freedom he has won even death is dead and done his life is overcome speak say the name above our names over every broken place he is risen from the grave
Good morning. Really, really glad you guys are here. I want to warn you that I'm going to preach the sermon this morning in two different parts, so if you get all excited when I seem to get finished in a few minutes, sorry about your luck, because I'll be back a little bit later for part two. So here goes. God gave our kids these amazing imaginations, right? And you parents, you grandparents, you've seen it, the imagination of your kids. She'll have this doll, she'll talk to it, feed it, burp it, change its diaper. It's all real to her for a time. You've got your stories. With my grandson, Stephen was a little guy. He was running through the house playing basketball. He'd have this epic basketball games, imaginary ball, imaginary teammates, imaginary baskets. Epic games. But one time he went to his mom with tears just streaming down his face. He was brokenhearted, and she's like, what's wrong? And he said, I missed the shot, and we lost the game. An imaginary basketball game, and he misses the shot and loses the game. He was devastated. It's creative. My son, Andy, had an imaginary friend named Jeffrey. Sometimes Jeffrey would have to or Julie would have to set a, a place at the table for Jeffrey, and sometimes we'd have to make room for him in our car. Their imaginations are wondrous, as long as eventually they embrace reality. I mean, if Andy still had an imaginary friend named Jeffrey who still eats with him in the lunchroom at Toyota, we'd have a problem. Because sometimes we need to move past our childish ideas, or childish ideas will mess you up. In fact, that's why some people don't like God. They have childish ideas about God. And because their ideas about God are messed up, they don't like their imaginary God. I heard a guy say one time, if I believed about God what you believe about God, I wouldn't like Him either. But what if your ideas about God are just wrong? I mean, some people grew up thinking that God choreographs everything. Everything that happens, everything you say, everything you do, everything you think has been predetermined, preordained by God, right? You're just a chess piece that basically God moves around this cosmic chessboard. And yet even though you have no control over what you do for some reason, God is pleased when we do good and He's angry with us when we do bad, which is weird. Why would God get emotional about Lego bricks that are just doing what He tells them to do? Well, if that's your idea of God, I don't like Him either. Other guys, other people, they think that God gives them some free will, but He's pretty unreasonable, right? After all, God gives us all of these desires, we think. And then He gets mad at us when we follow our hearts. Well, God, you made me this way, right? You gave me these feelings, and now you're calling these feelings sin. You made me the way I am, and now you get mad when I follow my heart. And if your idea of God is that simplistic and that flawed, I don't like your God either. Bottom line, guys, the emotions of God, the passions of God, confuse us. In fact, the whole idea that a, a transcendent, eternal, big G God would have any feelings at all about almost infinitely small, almost infinitely insignificant creatures like us by comparison. It's mind-blowing. The whole idea that little old me can make big G God mad makes him seem kind of weak, doesn't it? 
The idea that God gives me the ability to make free choices and then gets annoyed when I choose what he doesn't want me to choose seems capricious or fickle, doesn't it? I mean, our emotions make us weak. Love makes us vulnerable. Anger makes us mean. So how could a perfectly holy, perfectly self-sufficient God actually feel love or anger? So some of the philosophers back in Jesus' day were really smart guys. They figured out that if the God was actually going to be God-like, he would have to be passionless, no feelings, apathetic, just logic, like, kind of like the cosmic Spock. After all, if God is emotional, he'd be weak. If I can make God mad, I kind of have power over him. I own him. If I can make God happy, maybe I can manipulate him. If God needs my approval, my affirmation, if God needs my worship, if God feeds on my praise, then he's kind of a wussy God. If this God gets in a tizzy because I don't stroke his ego, they figured he couldn't be much of a God. Now what's interesting to me is that their perfect man mirrored their perfect God. Perfect man would be Spock-like too. No passions, no emotions, just logic. One guy I read said that their wise man was passionless, pitiless, and perfect. He wouldn't cause you pain, but he wouldn't feel your pain either. He wouldn't feel your hurt because emotions make a man weak. Right? So the God of the Bible blew their minds. Because he's eternal, transcendent, all-knowing, all-powerful, perfectly holy, perfectly good, and yet passionate. Consistently passionate, compassionate. A God you can delight, a God that you can anger, a God who feels what you feel. And he doesn't just understand what you feel clinically, professionally. He feels it personally. How in the world does that work? And yet the Bible repeatedly, unequivocally, describes the big G God as passionate, compassionate, capable of both mind-bending love and terrifying yet righteous wrath, which, by the way, is not the opposite of love. The opposite of love is not wrath. The opposite of love is apathy. I don't care because you don't matter. If you're not capable of wrath... You're not capable of love either, right? Anyway, the Bible repeatedly, unequivocally describes the big G God as a compassionate God, which means literally God feels your pain. Feels your pain. How weird is that? And so Moses comes off the mountain, Mount Sinai, with these Ten Commandments. And before he can speak, God makes his presence known somehow. It says the Lord passed in front of Moses and God called out Yahweh, I am. I am the I am. I'm the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. Slow to anger, but I can get angry. Filled with unfailing love and faithfulness, I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I don't excuse the guilty. Because a loving God cannot turn a blind eye towards sin, just like a loving parent can't turn a blind eye toward willful disobedience, right? And the Israelites got it. They got it. In fact, they kind of turned it into a mantra. 
Here's King David, Psalm 86. We looked at it earlier in the service. He says, you, O Lord, are a God of compassion. You're a God of compassion, go figure, and mercy. Not just big and powerful, but compassion. You're slow to get angry, but you can. But you're filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. And that mantra, that refrain, repeats itself over and over and over again in the Psalms, the prophets. In fact, Jonah, one of the prophets, remember Jonah? Guy got swallowed by a big fish. Remember how Jonah did not want to go preach to the Ninevites because he hated them. And he was afraid that if he preached to them that they might actually repent and God wouldn't smite them. And God wanted these guys smited because he hated them, right? That's the story. So he says, didn't I say before I left home, God, that you'd do this? I hate it. That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I didn't want to go there. I knew that you're merciful. I know that you're compassionate, God, and I hate that about you. Slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. <laughs> hate that about you, God says, that you'd have compassion on people I hate. Does the grace of God ever annoy you? You know what compassion means? We actually borrowed the word from the Latin, compassio, to suffer with, to suffer together. It's kind of like sympathy, which we stole from the Greek. Sympathos, to feel with. The problem is that we tend to anthropomorphize. That's a huge word. We anthropomorphize the compassion of God, which means we think God is like us. He's bigger maybe, but he's still kind of like us. And we're not very good at compassion, so how could, he could be, how could he be that good at compassion, right? And if God has the kind of compassion you have, I don't like him. Read this article in a psychology mag online. It laid out three requirements for compassion. This is what you have to have to work up some good compassion. Number one, someone's trouble has to be serious. I have to consider the problem serious if I'm going to feel compassion. If you just stub your toe, I'm probably going to not feel compassion. I'm just going to tell you, quit whining, you big baby, right? Someone's troubles cannot be self-inflicted. It's going to be hard for me to work up compassion for any of you guys who might be broke today because you overspent on Friday, right? I'll probably say something like, don't be so stupid next time. And number three, we've got to be able to picture ourselves in the same predicament. You've got to know that could be me that's broke, that's lost my job, that's losing my marriage, that's losing my friend, for compassion to work. And the problem is, this is what it takes for us to be compassionate, so we figure that these things are required for God to feel compassion, right? He's got to play by the same rules. So how could my puny little trouble really matter to a big G eternal God? How could God feel the issues of someone so tiny and so little when there are so many? And how could God have compassion on me when so many of my issues are self-imposed? So are yours. We do stupid and then we feel pain. How could that stir compassion in God? And how could an infinitely big, eternal, infinitely powerful, infinitely holy God ever imagine himself in our predicament? except for this guy named Jesus. Because to prove that it's real, that he really does have this compassion, God steps into our world as Jesus so he can show us what God is like, so he can show us what God feels like, 
And over and over and over again in the Jesus stories, it says he had this compassion for us. Matthew says, this is not the right verse, by the way. I messed it up. Maybe that is the, yeah, that's, that is the right verse. I, they fixed it for me. It says, Jesus saw this huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion. He had splunk known, compassion. Weird word. Get back to it. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. The word splanknon, the word that's translated compassion, literally means your innards, your guts, right? Intestines, kidneys, liver, all of that stuff at the pit of your stomach. That's what it means, splanknon. It came to mean metaphorically the deep emotions that you feel in the pit of your stomach. You ever felt your stomach just churn? Like someone maybe just punched you in the gut and it tears at you so badly? Jesus saw the crowds. He sees the sick people and it tore his heart. It wrenched his stomach. Do you think it tears at God when you are sick? Later on, when Jesus is with another crowd, he says, I feel compassion, splunk known for these people because they have remained with me now for three days and they're hungry. And I don't want to send them away hungry. Do you think God feels compassion for you when you're hungry or cold or bone-tired? Do you think God feels that? Another time, Jesus looks at this crowd of people, and he says he saw the crowds, and he had this splunk known on them because they were confused. They were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Do you think God has compassion on you when you are scared, when you're lost, when you're lonely? when you're spiritually lost, when life seems empty, purposeless. If you don't think God feels that with you, you don't know Jesus. One more. Jesus tells this parable about God, the Father. He says God is like this father of a prodigal, some stupid messed up kid like one of us. Dad sees the prodigal coming home, and Jesus says, the father, God sees him, and he was filled with compassion. He runs to him, hugs him, kisses him. Do you think God's compassion for you is diminished one iota by your sin? If you think that, you don't know the big G God. Bottom line, guys, if you're not worshiping a God who knows everything about you, everything in loves you anyway. If you don't worship a God who is perfectly holy and yet he feels your pain even when it's self-imposed, if you don't worship a God who can care about billions of others while at the same time treasuring you, then your God's too small. Your God is not the God revealed to us in and through Jesus. And to prove it is it's hard to believe. To prove it, the coup de grace, God went to the cross for you. And I'm telling you guys, he would have gone to the cross even if it was just for you. His compassion is not diminished by the too little. His compassion is not diminished by the self-inflicted. And to prove that he understands our predicament, he walked in our shoes before he took our place. How cool is that? That's part one, the compassion of God, the compassion of God. Do you get it, that God feels that for you, that he cares that much for you?
We celebrate that compassion every single week here at Capital City around these tables around the room. There's a tray there. It's got some juice in it. It's got some bread in it. It represents a Jesus who died for us because he cared that much. Right next to it, there's a black offering box. In the back, it's a wooden box. That's if Jesus is, is your master and Capital City is your home, that's where we Jesus followers give our first part back to God. Next to it's a white bucket called a generous bucket. If you've got a dollar or two you want to drop in there, every dollar that goes in there we use for compassion, just to love on people who are hurting in the name of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, for your compassion for us, we are just so grateful. And we celebrate that right now around this table. What more vivid proof could you have ever given us that you love us this deeply and feel for us this deeply? Thank you, Jesus. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You're welcome.
are so good. You are so faithful and merciful. We've been able to experience that, witness it, feel that in our own lives. It's not enough to let it just sit there and remember. We need to tell. We need to tell the world about what it is that you've done. Because we see family and we see co-workers and we see neighborhood uh, members who are just hurting. Teach us how to have compassion. Teach us how to reach out, just like you've reached out for each one of us. I'm just astounded by the promise that you make that you see every single tear. Your Father who cares about us. Thank you so much for the ultimate example of Jesus Christ in the way that he loves, the way that he suffered with us as a person in this earth. Father, put that on our hearts so that we can reach out to this world. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Did you guys have a seat? Part two. Part one was hard to believe that the almighty God actually feels your pain. It's hard for us to imagine. Part two is hard to do. This is the tougher part for most of us. See, sometimes emotions are dangerous, aren't they? If you let yourself feel, you can also let yourself get hurt. C.S. Lewis put it like this. He said, to love it all is to be vulnerable. If you love anything, love is going to, your heart will certainly be wrung, possibly be broken. If you want to make sure to keep your heart intact, you've got to give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. So he's going to wrap it carefully around with hobbies and luxuries and avoid entanglements. Lock up your heart safe in the casket or the coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it's going to change. Your heart will not be broken. It'll actually become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. He says the alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside heaven where you can be safe from all of the dangers and the perturbations of love is hell. So, some people harden their hearts to protect themselves. Maybe some of you guys. You feel little compassion because compassion opens you up to pain. I mean, if I don't care about you and I don't care about what you think and I don't care about what you say, then you can't hurt me, right? The more you care, the more vulnerable you are. So sometimes we just try hard to stop caring, right? Sometimes we get pretty good at it. And we become monsters. Other times people don't care. Sometimes people are compassionless because they're broken, just broken. I mean, God gave us this capacity for compassion, and when serious pain does not stir us, something is broken. How many of you old guys saw Schindler's List when it came out? Okay. Now, you guys know that I don't cry, but occasionally my allergies get really worked up. If you can watch Schindler's List and not have your allergies work up, something's wrong with you. I remember that I was in a theater in Ashland, Kentucky, and also in the theater at the time were a bunch of high school kids who laughed through the film at the horror and the degradation of the Holocaust. They were broken. Something was broken in them. And some of my tears were for them. 
Some people are so broken they actually enjoy hurting other people. They, they enjoy causing pain. Bullies, sadists, psychopaths, sociopaths, all matters of degree, right? Something's subhuman about their hearts. Now, guys, I know that there are some times when it is necessary to cause pain. And there are times when it's okay to cause pain. <laughs> uh, the right reason, you know, if you have a claw that you want to use on your grandkid's belly, that is a good reason to cause a little bit of pain. But to seriously cause some person's humiliation or degradation or pain because you enjoy it, because you get your jollies out of that, something is broken in you, right? And occasionally, there are times when someone who through no fault of their own, their compassion compass is just broken. Someone very close to me, we think, suffered from fetal alcohol syndrome. If you're not familiar with that, it Basically, when he was a fetus, his mother drank way too much. Sometimes when that happens, it messes the kid up. He struggled to understand right and wrong. He struggled to feel anything when he did anything wrong, whenever he hurt somebody. And his brokenness broke our hearts. Because God created us in his image. He created us to see what he sees and to feel what he feels. He created us to feel compassion because he is a God of compassion. And you are the most human when you are the most in his image. I mean, animals are capable of some compassion, I guess, but not like God, not like you. Cat's going to play with its food, right, before killing it and eating it. Yesterday I was working in the shop. Our cat comes wandering into the shop with a mouse wiggling in its mouth, right? Sat down so we could enjoy the spectacle and then ate it, right? Aren't you glad cats are little? I found an article in USA Today that say your cat may want to kill you, study says. I think they're onto something. I'm glad cats are little. Alethea has this little dust mop she calls a dog. She thinks it's cute, but it's not, right? The little demon took out after one of our chickens sometime back, and it came back with its mouth all bloody, proud of itself. But it's a dog, and that's what dogs do. That's what animals do. When I was a kid, I used to move irrigation pipe for a neighbor. Massive field, hundreds of sheep grazing in the field where I was working. Occasionally, I'd come across a sheep that was dead. Sometimes its eyes would be missing, because that's where the buzzards would start. Sometimes there'd be blood that had flowed out of the eye socket because the buzzards would start eating before the sheep was dead. They're gruesome critters, but they're animals, right? They're just doing what animals do. We're not animals, are we? Image of God, guys. Although sometimes you wonder, like when we stripped Jesus naked, nailed him to a cross, and put him in a public place, as public as possible, at eye level, so everybody walking by can enjoy the torture of the, this Messiah wannabe, they thought. Compassion is image of God stuff, guys. All compassion is image of God stuff. But not all compassion is God-honoring. Some people think it is. It's not. A lot of people, actually, because I'm a pastor. I've been to a lot of funerals, I suppose. And I've been to a lot of funerals of those who are not Jesus followers. 
And I cannot tell you how many times I've heard people reason something like this. He was not a Jesus follower. I know, but he was a good guy, a really good guy. Got to count for something if there's a heaven. I mean, if he give you the shirt off his back, as if rudimentary compassion will earn you a ticket to heaven, even if you have spent your life dissing Jesus. Listen, guys, I don't care who you are. You have this capacity for compassion because you were created in the image of God. But not all compassion is intended to be God-honoring. Sometimes people show all this compassion not to honor God, not to honor those that God loves, but to bring honor on themselves. You ever seen people who show off their compassion? Have you ever watched people who do compassion so other people would notice, so other people would honor them? Vern Huber, he's our connections minister. He's not a nice guy, right? He's way older than me, way older. But he does this self-righteous honor stuff all the time. He'll always try to beat me to the door to hold it open for a lady to show that he is more thoughtful, more compassionate, more humble than I am, (laughs) which is ridiculous because everybody knows that I am way more thoughtful, way more compassionate, way more humble than he is, which is why I always try to beat him to the door. And I think there are some who are impressed by our selfless compassion. Although I doubt that God is impressed with Vern. (laughs) I hope that I have God fooled. You ever act like you're compassionate so you can impress somebody? Is that God honoring, do you think? Some people are selfishly compassionate because compassion can actually feel good physiologically. Did you know that? It can feel good to be compassionate. God made us that way, which is cool. But some people are compassionate because they like the high. They like the feeling of it. One article I read put it like this. It says that there's a warm glow that's a very real physiological phenomenon. In fact, researchers used functional magnetic resonance imaging to look at the effect of compassion on the brain. They found increased activity in the ventral stratum. I don't know if I pronounced that right during acts of voluntary giving. That's the region of the brain associated with reward, one of the areas that bursts into life when you're under the influence of addictive stimulants like cocaine. In other words, charity can get you high. Way better high than a whole lot of the others that we obsess over. But it's still about self, not God. Still about self, not those that God loves. And some people think that the more sappy you are, the more compassionate you are. Not always. A dad does not have to have the same kind of compassion as mom, right? For both to be compassionate. Recently, my grandson Caden was at the house. He's five. And he skinned his knee, which can be pretty tragic when you're five. Well, when he skinned his knee, Monica wasn't there, mom. Julie wasn't there, grandma. Alethea wasn't there, aunt, and Morgan wasn't there, cousin. Only me, which put him in a spot. So he came crying to me. Well, because Monica wasn't there, and Julie wasn't there, and Alethea wasn't there, and Morgan wasn't there, we went into the bathroom, and I dug out a Band-Aid, and I tended his terrible wound, which I couldn't quite see. He had to point out where to put the (laughs) Band-Aid. Compassion, right? No mockery. I did fine. On the other hand, my grandson Stephen one time was a little older than that when he jumped off a sofa and on his way down to the floor he hit his head on the coffee table. 
And I was watching him. I said, oh, that one's going to hurt. That one's going to be a good cry, right? Well, he got up and he looked around, and the only one he saw looking at him was me. And he just saw me watching him, right? So he looked at me and clenched his teeth and took a deep breath. And I looked at him and gave him a little bit of a nod and smile of approval. And he got up and went on. Was that compassion too? Sometimes you need to suck it up. Sometimes kids need a dad as well as a mom. Aren't you glad that God is both a mom and a dad when you need compassion? So because we have a compassionate God, we are compassionate Jesus followers. It's who we are and what we do. Because like father, like sons and daughters, that's who we are. So the Apostle Paul, he put it like this. He says, God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved by God, clothe yourself with compassion. Put it on, he says. Do it. Just do it. As well as kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Clothe yourself with compassion. It's a command. If it's a command, it means it's a choice. It means you can choose to do it or not. And if you keep choosing it, eventually it can become who you are. How cool is that? God-like. Like father, like sons and daughters. Apostle Paul also said one time, he said, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as, just as, God in Christ forgave you. Why? Are we compassionate? Because God had compassion on us. We're that way out of gratitude. For that reason alone, that's enough. Thank you, God, for being that way with me. And I'll do my best to reflect it whenever I can. And did you know that when you do life in His image, that's when you're the most fully you. That's when you start to be who you were meant to be by God. Did you know that when, like father, like sons and daughters, only then do you get an inkling of the fullest, richest, best life possible? Because, guys, you were made for way more than a self-centered, self-absorbed, self-obsessed life. You were made to wrap your life around God for life to be grand. So, let's get it done. Let's get it done. What a perfect season to talk about this, right? Let's show them the way that God designed life together to work. Christmas is coming, guys, and God is going to give you a boatload of opportunities to live this out over the next month or so. So here's how you do it. You ready? Get your eyes open. Keep your eyes open. It's so easy to get wrapped up in yourself that you never slow down and notice what's going on beneath the skin of the people around you. It's so easy to get wrapped up in yourself and your own issues that you don't notice people around you that are hurting Compassion requires that you can keep your eyes open and that is something you can choose to do. Look around. Number two, don't just keep your eyes open. If possible, try to understand what they're going through. I mean, one guy said that compassion is the sometime fatal capacity for feeling what it's like to live under someone else's skin. Don't just look at them with your eyes. If you can, try to see life through their eyes. 
It'll make a difference, guys. And then here's the key. This is the big part. If you can, do something. Do something. Compassion is not complete until it's active. It's not enough simply to notice pain. It's not enough even just to feel someone's pain. A God-honoring compassion moves us to try to do something about someone else's pain. Listen, guys, it seems to me that if God has given us the ability and the opportunity to make a difference in someone's life, it is never someone else's job. Now, in fact, I'd suggest if you go out into the foyer, you'll see a bunch of these little nudges cards. Cards that we put together just so if you see someone else who might be hurting a little bit, give them a card. Just say, we're thinking about you. Maybe put a little gift card on the inside. Just say, just trying to love on you. Someone cares. Pick up some of those cards. Use them during this season. Might be kind of fun. Guys, we serve a compassionate God. Let's be a compassionate people. You buy that? Let's pray together. Father, your compassion for us just staggers our minds. It's hard for us to grasp. Even though that we are so often persnickety and unlovable, and then you ask us to mirror that, and that's hard. But it is something we can choose. Give us the courage to be children of God. We love you dearly. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Guys, if you want to talk a little bit about Jesus, you want to talk about Capital City Christian Church, I'm going to hang out down here after the service. Be glad to talk to you. We've got an elder praying for you in the prayer room in the back. Slip back there and talk to them. Love to, love to talk with you. Glad you're here. I hope you felt the presence of God while you're here. Hope you come back. But for now, go away.